Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week an episode of Fascism in Fiction, a sort of mini-series that I do on Tuesdays of this podcast, in which I look at ways that fascism has been depicted in popular culture. This week I am talking about POW movies. POW in this case stands for Prisoner of War. This is a genre of entertainment. In this case, I'm talking about two movies and one television show, primarily operative in the United States, that talks about the experience of prisoners of war, primarily allied prisoners of war, in Nazi POW camps during World War II. As the war went on and more U.S. and other allied soldiers were captured, they were held by the enemy, that is Germany, in these prisoner camps. These camps had to abide by certain rules, which governed the fair and humane treatment of enemy combatants. These rules were codified in the Geneva Convention of 1929. The current Geneva Convention was written after World War II, but so, so this, is, this is a different but related convention signed in Geneva, Switzerland in 1929. According to the Geneva Convention that was operative during World War II, prisoners had the right to, quote, honor and respect. Female prisoners had the right to be treated fairly and differently with regard to their sex and gender. Primarily, this dealt with not being subject to sexual violence or exploitation or forced voyeurism by male guards, although the policing of that was extremely difficult. All prisoners of the same category, that is their rank or their racial category, if this was a German prison, had to be treated in the same way. This meant that officers got different treatment and enlisted men got different treatment in prisons. Medical facilities had to be provided to prisoners they had to take measures to prevent pandemic diseases within prisons. Prisoners had to be granted the ability to have some sort of mental and physical diversion. They had to be able to practice their religions. They also had responsibilities vis-a-vis -vis their captor. Specifically, they could be forced to work, but that work could not be related to the actual waging of war. So like they couldn't be forced to work in, for example, a munitions factory. But they could be forced to work, you know, in a lumber mill or in a medicine factory or something like that, right? The work also had to be safe. So these are actually pretty extensive protections. And as it so happens, both the United States and Germany actually followed them relatively well. There are famous, extremely famous examples of other belligerents in World War II not following these examples particularly well. Uh, one particularly obvious case is Japan, which was known for, for its extreme cruelty toward prisoners of war during World War II. So some of the conventions of the genre of a prisoner of war movie or television show is that it's centrally about escape. It's about escape, and it's about stymieing the Germans. The Germans have to be depicted as villains uh, who are ultimately capable of being fooled or manipulated. They have to be depicted as unfair, but not exactly as monsters, right? These aren't the Germans who are perpetrating the Holocaust, in which, in fact, part of the convention of the genre is that the Holocaust isn't really mentioned at all, presumably assuming that the prisoners themselves don't really know about it, and that the guards don't know about it either. Another convention of the genre is that there is an honor among the prisoners. Prisoners support each other, they work together, they're part of the same team. Additionally, they have a sort of bellicose honor with their captors. You know, the Germans did in fact capture them and are holding them in relative safety, although not necessarily in a pretty good situation. The three movies and television shows that I'm going to be talking about are Stalag 17, The Great Escape, and finally, Hogan's Heroes. I'm going to start out with Stalag 17. Stalag 17 is a 1953 movie which stars William Holden, who won the Oscar for Best Actor for the role. 
The movie is based on a Broadway play, and so it has a claustrophobic feel of a one-set show, which is appropriate for the movie, which is mostly about a single barrack in a prison, Stalag 17, Stalag meaning prison. It is written by actual POWs who actually appear in the film as sort of bit background parts. The plot of the movie concerns a supposed German plant, a spy, who is in the barrack. And the idea is that this spy informs the German guards on escape attempts, and more importantly, informs on information that the soldiers might share amongst themselves, you know, what unit they belong to, where they come from, where they're going, etc., etc. The movie's tone is alternately light-hearted and extremely serious. The lightheartedness comes from there, you know, there are two sort of like resident jokesters in the barrack who get up to little shenanigans that take up, you know, maybe like a quarter of the movie and are just kind of fun little hijinks. The serious bits of the movie are their discussions of the experiences of the prisoners, you know, not having really adequate food, not getting good sleep, just being prisoners. There's also one character who is depicted as a shell-shocked soldier who was once extremely intelligent and personable, but can no longer talk or read or engage socially because of his experience in the war. The movie is about how the prisoners conspire to help a lieutenant escape from this prison. This lieutenant is accused by the Germans of sabotage. And eventually, William Holden helps him escape from the prison camp. They, they win. The guards are led in this movie by a German. This German is played by Otto Preminger, who is generally known for his directing, not for being an actor. Otto Preminger's character is depicted as the camp commander. He's stuck up. He's a sort of discarded member of the German army. He's looking to make a name for himself. He is a little bit pitiable and silly in his own way. He's exacting. You know, he won't get his boots muddy. He puts on his boots just to talk on the phone. You know, that kind of thing. This is part of the semi-serious tone of the film. You know, he is a laughable villain, but he's a villain nonetheless. Let's move on to The Great Escape. The Great Escape came out 10 years after Stalag 17, 1963. It's a massive and extremely star-studded cast for the time. Steve McQueen stars, James Gardner stars, Richard Attenborough stars. You know, he's philanthropist guy from Jurassic Park and also the brother of David Attenborough. Other stars in the movie include Charles Bronson, Donald Pleasance, and just like a bunch of people, like, like a lot of just leading men from Hollywood in the 1950s and 60s. The Great Escape is also based on the experiences of an actual POW, although in this case it is much more highly fictionalized to make an extremely, you know, intense action-adventure movie. Again, the plot concerns an escape attempt in a German prisoner of war camp. It is a super prison that's being depicted in this film. The idea is that it is a super prison comprised of previously escaped or troublesome prisoners, all of them from the United Kingdom, the Commonwealth territories like Australia and the United States. Together, these prisoners try to convince the Germans that they're not going to try to escape, you know, that they're actually going to lie low here, while they're actually preparing for a massive escape network to try to get out hundreds of prisoners. And their plan is to wreak havoc for the Germans and force the Germans to divert attention to capturing these prisoners. That is what prisoner of war escapes were for, you know, not necessarily for actually getting people out, but for forcing the Germans to use their logistical means in order to recapture people, to divert means that they had away from the war itself. The movie is an exciting movie, you know, it's 
part like get the gang together heist type movie you know like each prisoner has his own skills and they use them to great effect there's also uh big shootouts and stunt scenes in the movie it has some of the most uh, acclaimed stunts in all of classic hollywood it's an extremely critically acclaimed movie and is addressed and referenced in many directors movies all the time the plot like i said concerns a massive escape attempt except in this case it is a partial success they are unable to get as many people out as they wanted and most of them are indeed captured again however you know they they did manage to take a bunch of resources from the germans trying to capture these this large number of escaped prisoners however at the end of the movie rather than being returned to this prisoner camp the escaped prisoners are shot en masse and this is a violation of the geneva convention the Nazis depicted in this film are a little bit more ruthless than in Stalag 17. The Nazis in that movie are played a little bit more for laughs. The commander of the encampment in The Great Escape is, again, he's presented as sort of a well-to-do guy. He sees that running this camp is a little bit beneath him, but he's also shown as being rueful and even a little bit sympathetic when he delivers the news to the commanding officer of the Allied prisoners that they have been shot you know that his compatriots that the escaped prisoners had been shot the nazi commander agrees you know implicitly with the allies that this is the wrong thing to do and this is an interesting bit of sympathy given to an otherwise entirely unsympathetic character finally i'm going to turn to a fully comedic series this is not a movie this is a television show the television show is called hogan's heroes it ran for quite a long time, from 1965 to 1971, making it the longest-lasting scripted show about World War II in the United States. It's a sitcom that is set in a prisoner-of-war camp. The ranking officer of the Allies is a colonel named Hogan, and he runs a spec ops team comprised of Allied soldiers from this German camp. The idea is that they don't try to escape, but rather that they use their position in this camp to relay information and to help other people who are fighting against the Germans. For example, dissenting Nazis, spies who work for the Allies, the French and German resistance, etc. Like any good sitcom, this is a show in which nothing ever really changes. You know, the main characters do not try to escape, right? It's a sitcom. They can't just leave the setting of the show. They never do anything to disrupt the order within the camp. They never do anything that really upends the order of the world in which the show is set, right? Like I said, it follows all the same genre conventions of any sitcom that you could drop in one episode to the next and not need to have learned anything at all about what had happened. Other than that, they're in a prisoner of war camp. The Allied soldiers are set against a villain, a guy named Colonel Klink. He is a sort of effeminate and silly Nazi. You know, this is a comedy show, right? And so he's a villain, but he is not depicted as a monster. He's not really depicted as a full evil Nazi. Incidentally, Colonel Klink was played by a Jewish American actor. His name is Werner Klimperer. He himself had fled Nazi Germany as a child and only agreed to participate in the television show playing a Nazi on the condition that Hogan always won and that Colonel Klink was never depicted sympathetically and was never presented as part of the solution to any problem. Indeed, all the German mains in the show, there are a couple, you know, guards and people who work with Colonel Klink, all the German mains were indeed acted by Jewish-American actors. 
Like I said, this show follows all the conventions of a sitcom. It has some serious, clear rules. The Nazis always lose, the prisoners always win. The Nazis are idiots, and the prisoners deftly manipulate them while working with a more serious outside world. The rules of this world are similar to any other sitcom, and specifically similar to a show like maybe about like kids manipulating parents or kids who are the real power within a school. You know, that, that's the sort of tone that the show sets. But again, it is about Nazis. Like, the villains in this show are members of the Nazi party. You can see how the trajectory of these three pieces of media depict a real change in how people thought about and engaged with Nazis. Shortly after the war, in 1953, we get Stalag 17, which is a dark comedy. It is a bleak film that has moments of joy that are sort of like rested from a terrible situation. Even the comedic characters sometimes break and, you know, hang their heads and talk about how terrible their life is. To Get Escape is an action movie. It's talking about, you know, how glorious the attempt to fight the Nazis could have been for some people, how glorious it was for many people. Finally, by the later part of the 1960s, Hogan's Heroes shows an ability to fully just laugh at the Nazis. The Nazis are depicted as goofy and stupid. Now, these three films show a way of talking about the war and dealing with the Nazis as both evil and ruthless, and also worthy of derision, without facing the worst of their crimes. This is a continued focus on the military aspects of the Nazi world, with the exception of The Great Escape, which has a couple scenes in sort of regular German town life. You know, it shows people going to cafes and going to stores and riding buses and things like that. You know, it, it acknowledges that for many Germans, regular life was going on up until the very, very end of the war. These movies also all depict an honorable fight against the Germans in the context of war, and they are also a means to ridicule the Germans. As the war fades into the memory, the Nazis can become a literal punchline, as opposed to being something that needs to be dealt with on a more serious level. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thank you very much. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you.